0: Since iTunes only keeps the last 100 episodes of any show, some of our show topics that seem to help the most people are no longer available when people search on iTunes. So, in an effort to make that information available to more people, from time to time we're going to re-air some of our most popular show topics. You can also go to kickitnaturally.com and search for any topic in our search box. For now, enjoy this show that originally aired in 2014.
1: T.C. Hale is not a doctor and does not claim to be a doctor or licensed in any type of medical field. Don't be an idiot and use anything heard on the show as medical advice. This information should be used for educational purposes only, and you should contact your doctor for any medical advice. Now get off me. Welcome to Kick It Naturally. I'm Kenna McEnroe, and I'm here with T.C. Hale, author, natural health expert, producer. Sweaty guy. Sweaty guy. Uh, Yeah, and we also have uh, Will Hottie Patati Schmidt.
2: It is hot.
1: It is hot it's today. Like Ninety yeah. degrees, which is great for our topic because we're going to be talking about sweating today. Yeah. yeah. So see, we're method. Yeah, we, we method. go along.
0: We move. We move our show with the climate.
1: Exactly. Well, We didn't have sugar around when we did our sugar show. What's that about?
0: Because you're so sweet.
1: Oh, good save. Good save. That
0: was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'm on fire today. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so um, if you haven't liked us already on Facebook, what's the holdup? Go ahead and like us at Kick It In The Nuts. That's where we post our show topics every week. You guys can weigh in with your questions, and you can even give us show topics because we are, like, scraping the bottom of the we barrel. We just
0: do whatever you guys tell yeah. us to do. Yeah. Just a few minutes ago, somebody said, talk about sweating, and we're like, done.
1: (laughs) We'll do it now. (laughs) Uh, so yeah. And also, if you'd like to learn how to become a health coach or even just dig into more advanced teachings for yourself or your family, go to healthprocourse.com to learn about Tony and Will's course for coaches. Registration for this course only opens to the public for about a week at a time, so be sure to register for the coach newsletter so you'll be notified when the next registration opens. I tried to do that all in one breath and it nearly worked. You'll find more info at (laughs) healthprocourse.com.
0: And pass out. Get your head on the wall. Mm -hmm. So I think today our goal is to enlighten.
1: Yeah, we're just gonna
0: we're just gonna educate on things.
1: Okay, can you?
0: Yeah, we can hear. And we also have Jason is with us today. Um,
1: Where's Jason? The ex
0: murderer with the uh, oh, chainsaw. Oh, oh okay. Because people like, like chopping down trees or something outside, oh, you okay. kind of hear. I kind of feel like we're in a. A murder movie or something.
1: Okay, I have a question. Okay. Right off the bat.
0: Here we go with this.
1: Well, when you sweat, like, is it okay? If you're more toxic, does that mean you're going to smell more when you sweat? Or what's the odor about? What is that?
0: It means that you're not ladylike. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. Yeah. Is that when you sweat and it stinks, you're just I don't fart. You're not either. a lady. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: ladies don't fart. We they don't poop, poop. Right. We don't sweat.
0: They just they look pretty. That's no. all. Mm-hmm. It's a good question, though. Sometimes, yeah, for sure. Like, oh, we're really gonna answer that for real. Yeah, I was, yeah,
1: okay. I was yeah, gonna, I gonna give it a good shot. Question. It's valid. <laughs> but
2: have you ever had like a really fun weekend out partying with whatever? I just smell it is? like
1: vodka after okay. that. Okay, so yeah, you porch. do
2: literally sweat out toxins like that you can get from drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. But other just regular sort of B.O., there's some really interesting findings about that. Hmm. Did we ever talk about that with the sweaty gym shirts from guys and girls? Yeah, we did talk about okay. kind oh, wait, pheromones uh, and kind of yeah. yeah. But what they found was that like – um Guys liked the sm- like they did this experiment where they had these like all these girls sweating these gym shirts and then they didn't wash them, they just gave them to these guys to smell. Yeah. And then vice versa, they had guys sweating gym shirts and a girl smelling and they wanted to say, which ones do you like, which ones do you not like, like the scent of. And the- all the guys liked the smell of the girls uh, who were ovulating. So, mm. it was just like they could tell, you Natural. know, right? But the girls were much more particular about which guys they liked and they ended up, liking the smell of the
0: guys who drove a porsche
1: yes <laughs> <They could> smell <laughs> more money they could
2: smell the porsche <laughs> new car smells um, but they could smell um the people the guys with the healthiest immune systems and then the odor is a product of the bacteria that lives on the skin that is like in your sweat glands so people can or yeah, guys girls can tell like is does this person have a healthy like bacterial population on their skin or not. And if you don't, then you have like this sort of like rancid smelling bacteria. But if you do have good, like benevolent, healthy flora in your intestinal tract, also you have flora on your skin. They could pick that up and they could see, Oh, these guys have the healthiest immune systems. Um, So that, yeah, that, I think that ties into answering your question about cool. sweat
0: toxins
1: so smell. So Gary at the and gym doesn't have a healthy. He immune has some poor bacteria. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I
0: think what we'll talk about today is that it's it's a little bit of both of those things. Is that you're going to see that uh, as as made apparent by when you go out and you drink all weekend, and then you sweat that out, and you can actually smell what you drink. Yeah,
1: I just licked myself. You know, my right. I and mean, then you're just continually drunk getting drunk yeah.
0: again, right? Um, but that's proof that yes, we do sweat out toxins. And so it's never going to be just one factor that is going to be does a person smell or not when they're sweating? But we can see that there's more than one factor that can contribute to that situation. And we'll probably talk about that a lot today. So let's bust, let's bust into some questions and let's enlighten.
1: Let's enlighten. Let's, let's stank it up. Yeah. Michelle from Embler, Oregon. Any ideas on treating excessive sweating? Hyperhidrosis. My poor son has this, and it is definite drawback into his social life. So let's look
0: at a couple of factors that could cause someone to sweat more than someone else might, and there's and there's quite a few that, that we could really look into. And um, I don't know what Michelle's uh son's situation is in, in any way, but let's first of all cover the overweight thing because that's something that's very common in. Uh, a lot of people will know someone who's obese that when when you just see them sitting there, they're sweating full on. And what we know about obesity is that usually in most cases, at least part of that is a toxicity issue where um, the body is having a hard time removing toxins or too much. And it's much crying. Or, it's crying. Yeah, yeah. So the body's just crying. So it's yeah. it's sad pores. God, That's why you. the person's <laughs> sweating. No, it's… Um, you know, there's an inability to remove toxins or to deal with toxins, and and so the body kind of looks at some of its fallback resources of removing toxins, which is removing toxins through the skin. So that can cause a person to sweat more in an, in an effort to get some of the toxins out of the body. So right off the bat, before we even know Michelle's son, we want to look at does a person have any type of overweight issues that could be a sign of some over toxicity. And also what happens when you look at uh, things that can be a sign of toxicity, like what is their saliva pH? A lot of times when you see a saliva pH below 6.5, that can be a sign of the body accumulating too much toxic issues. And often that's because of poor bile flow. Maybe let's talk about that a little.
2: Yeah, uh, well, bile is one of the main pathway, maybe the main pathway that the body sends toxins out of the, out through the colon, or at least it tries to do that. And, and it can get blocked and obstructed for a lot of different reasons. And then when the body isn't eliminating toxins out through the bile, they reflux back into the bloodstream and your body's like, rushes to figure out another way to get rid of the toxins sometimes you'll pee them out so you'll sometimes see constituents of bile and other toxins come out through the kidneys in the urine and you also see it in skin issues that can manifest so sometimes we'll see rashes or acne or different blotchy spots uh, and then we can also maybe see like weird odor in the in the body as well and coming out through sweat
0: and you made a good point there that sometimes we see these uh, factors coming out in urine and we can use those 11 parameter urine test strips to kind of look at what we see in the urine. And some of the times we see things uh, like bilirubin and urobilitogen that can be a, a kind of a confirmation of, hey, bile's not flowing so well. Yeah.
1: What about like hormones? I mean, because he's young or whatever, just like hormones when women are going through, you know, um, what's it called?
2: Hot flashes flashes and 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 stuff. So, so. for sure. I mean, that's one of the biggest things I I was wanting to bring up in this conversation where we look at is the uh, nervous system in a stress state. Like, and with that, we'll see elevated body temperature, and then the body will sweat to try to reduce the temperature. Because, with Uh, the excess heat, it'll send water carrying that heat out of the body to try to keep your core temperature and your organs all at the right temperature. So we would want to see like, is there something obstructing regular energy production in the cells that's creating this excess heat? Or is the uh, the body stuck in a stress hormone state where like the Mm -hmm. fight or flight system is activated? And there's a lot of different things that could be getting in the way of energy production or stimulating the stress state, which I uh, I think we'll talk about as we go through this conversation. But those would be other big factors to look at. So in trying to look at your own chemistry, see what is it, there's a lot of different tests you could do to try to troubleshoot. Like you said, the urine dipsticks, like do we see bile refluxing and coming out uh, in the urine, evidenced by the bilirubin, urobilogen that we can detect using. And, and these
0: are strips that you can buy on Amazon. Yeah. Just
2: look up 11-parameter urine. You t- know, test tip. yeah, strips. Yeah, they're not hard to find. You don't need a prescription to buy them, you can just get them. And you pee on these strips, and um, it'll show you, like, oh, this is you have bilirubin, you have protein, you have urobiligin coming out. And I have um, a video that shows how to do that test. I think, do we put that in the digestion course? I don't know if it's in the uh, yeah, I think it is
0: in the digestion course, but I think you have it on your blog. Yeah,
2: if it's not there, you can find it if you go to mybodyofknowledge.net and just type in the search box. Um, self-tests and you'll see videos of how to do all the different self-tests, including the one titled urine dipstick test. So, you can learn how to do that. But you can also, um, in that on the same website, you can also type in stress and you'll see a blog post that I wrote that'll help you understand the biomarkers to detect if you're in a sympathetic or fight or flight stress state. So, there's a blog post called Stress and Meditation and it shows How you can look at your blood pressure and your breath rate and from that determine like am I in a fight or flight stress hormone state and that could be another factor and it could be concurrent with impaired bile flow or it could be one or the other or it could be other factors we haven't talked about yet but you want to try to get a handle on what's going on in your case that's putting your body into this state where it's needing to sweat and then troubleshoot from there.
0: And, you know, when Ken is talking about hormones, a lot of times the hormones may be causing this stress state where...
1: But what's causing the hormones? Right, but there's
0: usually other things that are causing those hormones to be out of whack because a lot of people will look at their hormones and say, oh, I need to do hormone replacement therapy. And we just, we don't buy into that. We kind of like to see what's really causing one hormone to be out of whack which can cause another hormone to go too low and there's always this cause and effect going on and very rarely is it a a situation where you just need hormone cream you know that just seems to be problematic but when we're looking at things like that and you're talking about um you know things changing the temperature of the body and stuff we also look at what happens when we exercise because we sweat a lot when we exercise and Um, There's a lot of factors that can contribute to that, but one of them is that we create a lot of lactic acid when we're exercising. And so the body's like, okay, I want to try and get some of this out of the body. So we kind of know that that's one factor that can contribute to sweating. So when we're looking at that, we also have to keep in mind that some people that are in an extreme anabolic state, and maybe we'll explain that for first-time listeners, but when they're in that state, the body creates more lactic acid all the time. So that could be, for some people, a contributing factor that makes them sweat a lot more than they feel that they should. Do you want to quickly talk about how, you know, what an anab- anabolic imbalance is? Yeah, in
2: relation to the the lactic acid issue. Um, the anabolic state is a whole big umbrella thing. There's a lot of different aspects to it. But in this specific thing where we're talking about lactic acid recycling, lactic acid is a byproduct of cellular metabolism. And it normally gets cleared out and recycled back into the whole, um, the energetic or cellular metabolism by oxygen. It comes in and, and, binds with the lactic acid and helps it get cleared out and recycled. So the oxygen is actually coming in as like a cleanup crew. To, Good job, oxygen. Yeah, right. Uh, so it, it doesn't actually produce the energy, but it helps clear out the metabolic byproducts that, that occur through cellular respiration. And in the anabolic state, we have trouble getting oxygen into the cell to do that clear out work so that lactic acid can build up and accumulate. And then instead of being part of the regular chain of cellular energy production, it can just build up and accumulate and get in the way of further energy production happening.
0: And we, and we see a lot of times with people with these uh, overly anabolic states where they're very high in lactic acid that they'll experience anxiety and even panic attacks. And we've talked about that. I think we have a whole episode about anxiety and panic attacks. But um, in that situation, the body may be trying to remove some of that and could create extra sweating. So that can be a factor. Maybe we'll talk about that. More too in this. But let's let's do some more questions so we keep rolling.
1: All right, Virginia. Now that I'm drinking a lot more water in between meals, I seem to be sweating a lot more. Go- Googling tells me that drinking more water does not make you sweat more. What could be going on? Thanks.
0: Hello, Virginia. I always like that name. That's a good name.
1: It's very proper.
0: hmm I'm proper. Mm-hmm. All right, anyway. So... I know that, uh, I've seen Virginia in our free, uh, support group and I know that she's taking some steps to improve some things. And uh, I think she's even working on some weight loss stuff. So that's where my brain goes to first. And, and when I think about that, you know, drinking more water isn't going to make like adding more water in doesn't make more just seep out of your skin. It's not going to make you just sweat more. However, let's say a person is pretty toxic and you introduce more water And the body's like, hey, I could use some of this water to remove some of these toxins in all kinds of ways. Yeah, I'm going to pee some of this out. I'm going to send some to the colons. But I could also push some more out through the skin just to get rid of some of these toxins. So even though drinking more water won't make you sweat more, if you have toxicity issues or if you're taking steps that's allowing the body to dump toxins out of fat cells, maybe you've been reducing a lot of uh, processed junk that you're eating. Maybe you've reduced your starches and allowed insulin levels to come down so the body can start accessing fat stores and removing that. If any of that is going on, so there's more of a toxic load leaving the body, then as more water comes in, the body may say, hey, let's use some of that, and, and you could. the result could be sweating more. Not necessarily as a result of you just drinking more, but from all of that stuff. You feel okay about all those things I said, Will Smith? I feel okay, more than okay with those that's things. Great. I'd also say that
2: possibly uh, if you were dehydrated, you would sweat less than your body would like to normally. And then if you are all of a sudden now sufficiently hydrated, it sweats its normal amount. So if you just fixed your dehydration problem and now you notice that you're sweating more, maybe that's just how much your body would normally have been sweating had you been hydrated previously. And adding more water on top of that might not make you like sweat more. You might have to go pee more. right? But um, it's possible that your body is like your overall metabolism was a little slower and that your body was being more conservative with the amount of water that it had before when you were possibly dehydrated. That's and one thing I and
0: think. keep in mind that your the body sweats all the time. 100% of the time we're sweating, but it's in such small amounts that it basically hits the air and, and evaporates. We have to crank up the sweating ability before we're like hey we're sweaty but that function is basically always there and continually happening yeah and but just think of it like
2: say you didn't drink any
0: water at all
2: like you probably wouldn't pee much either you know and your body might do better if you could urinate out some waste so you could just be like looking at it the same way as like with sweat if you were dehydrated before you're gonna sweat less if you're dehydrated before you're gonna pee less but that doesn't mean like your body wouldn't just naturally pick up and urinate more, or sweat more if it was hydrated.
0: Right. All
1: right. Joanne from Los Angeles, California. I never sweat, no matter what. I'm not complaining, but is that weird or is something wrong?
0: Something's wrong. Oh. Yeah. And keep in mind that, you know, maybe someone just watches TV all the time and they never leave the house or the couch or their air conditioning's on all the time and all that. Um, but. I see this a lot, especially with new clients in the gym. Is that I'll have somebody come in and they'll be like, "Hey, I've never sweat. I just, I just don't ever sweat. I can't even sweat, no matter what I do." And what happens is, if somebody's pretty toxic, and the body is having to rely on using the skin as an exit strategy, the more it does that, uh, especially if a person's not drinking enough water, that those pores can get clogged. And there is no exit strategy through the skin anymore. And those toxins just accumulate. A lot of times they can gain a lot of weight from this. Um, So what I have them do usually is I'll have them do some type of uh, sweating activity, whether it's some type of sauna or a situation like that, that will um, kind of pop the cork on those pores Allow them to sweat, and then if they do that a couple of times and successfully remove that blockage, they'll come into the gym and they'll be just as gross as everybody else. And it's like congratulations, you did it. Yeah, you're I gross. don't
1: sweat that much. I mean, I sweat, but I don't like it doesn't drip off me. But
0: it seems like there was a time when you first started that you really didn't sweat yeah, much yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah. It seems like we've had that yeah. conversation before. Um, so that's pretty common to happen, Joanne. So you're not a freak, but. Um, you know it's more common when someone has bioflow issues where that main exit strategy for toxins is not working so the body's overusing something else you know toxins are made to get removed out of the poop so it's if you think about it like your skin is being asked to be a pooper that's not going to work very well you're going to smell like poop but also uh, the function of trying to sweat out poop is not good so there's things are going to happen stuff's going to get backed up and clogged and and that can be the case
2: yeah, one other factor I'd look at it would be to see um, where her sort of metabolic rate is at. So, if you were to look at an individual who has an underactive thyroid, we'll typically see them with a lower body temperature. And someone with a lower body temperature is going to be less prone to sweating, which is a mechanism our body uses to cool. Because if you're already cool, you're going to be much less I'm cool. Prone. You're super cool. But you're going to be much less prone to need to exert or excrete out extra hot water from your body if you're already cool. So I would look at um, maybe go back and listen to the episode that we had with uh, Benedicte Lerchi, where we looked at thyroid function and we talked about how um, looking at your pulse and body temperature before eating and then 30 minutes after eating and seeing if you have markers of good thyroid performance. If you do, Thirty minutes after eating, your body temperature should still be around ninety-eight point six, and your pulse should be around eighty-five. Which it, that can vary a little bit depending at the altitude that you measure that you live at.
0: And a lot of imbalances as well too can f- yeah. factor into that. because Yeah. I, you know, it, it's important for people to see they, if they look at their pulse and it's out of balance. That doesn't mean oh, if I just fix my thyroid, then I'm going to fix that pulse because. Uh, like an anabolic imbalance is going to create a much higher pulse and a catabolic imbalance can often create a much lower pulse mm-hmm. too. So it's important to look at those factors too.
2: Yeah. So if if you do think that, like, oh yeah, maybe my endocrine system's off do go back and listen to that full episode where we talk about all those, a lot of those different nuances and how digestion's tied in with that. But I would look at that if like you tend to have like a lower body temperature and a slower, uh, metabolism and possibly an underactive thyroid, that could make you a lot less prone to sweating also. And it could be an issue that has other ramifications in your health.
0: You know, and you also reminded me of something else I want to talk about as far as being cool goes. Um, a, a lot of people don't understand all the benefits that come from sweating. We really want to sweat, especially if we're working out. Sweating is a is a very beneficial uh, aspect of, of working out because It's helping you remove all this junk from the body, junk that you don't want to be there, especially if you're a person that's trying to lose weight and you're trying to rid the body of toxins so that all these excess toxins are not getting stored. So, I talk about this in Kick Your Fat in the Nuts, I think in chapter 17. um, But I talk about how I hate to see people work out with this huge fan right on them or like standing under an air conditioner or something because you're sweating during that workout on purpose your body's like hey we're making all these extra chemicals during this workout and we want to remove those we don't want them to build up so we're going to remove them through the sweat but then you're restricting the body's ability to do that when you're turning off your body's ability to sweat so whatsoever so i really like to see people not overheat themselves i'm not saying you have to do hot yoga um in order to get any benefit but if you're standing in front of an air conditioner or I'm only on the treadmill if I have a fan three inches from my face. Uh just I like to see people not do that so that they allow their body to sweat like it should. You
2: yeah, you reminded me of this other um this other study that was done I forget who it was, if it was a physician or a professor that was investigating uh he was looking at the phenomena of fevers and the indigenous practice of using sweat lodges to help cure fevers and then he had the thought like i wonder if that heating of the body temperature which kills the bacterium pathogens and viruses uh also occurs just through regular exercise like the body temperature elevation that occurs from exercise and they did these studies and found yeah totally it totally helps do the same thing as a sweat lodge, like in raising the body temperature. It helps kill off the pathogens, viruses, and bacteria that can contribute to ill health and infection. So, in a, in a way, when you heat, allow your body to get hot when you exercise, it's very much a very much the same thing as going into a sweat lodge, or your body having a little healthy mini fever that helps just sterilize your internal environment.
0: That's very interesting, and we have talked about that I think on other episodes where, if someone's sick, we Say, you know, if you feel like doing some cardio, that's okay, but with resistance training, you're creating other chemicals that can kind of exacerbate that cold, which, uh, or as Kenneth would say, acerbate that cold, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> but, but so that might be another uh, viewpoint. Are you on, acerbating? <laughs> I'm acerbating <right> now. <laughs>
1: I'm from Texas, y'all. <laughs> okay. Alan from Los Angeles, California. I completely soak my shirt anytime I'm nervous. Anything I can do about that? What's acerbating it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Alan. Um,
1: well, See, do Alan one, does it.
0: We kind of touched for a second about, um, you know, fight or flight kind of stuff before. Um and those and in imbalance with that sympathetic or parasympathetic type of things can even move where body heat kind of focuses on, and that may have um, some effect for some situations too. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about looking at a, a sympathetic state and maybe that stress related fight or flight situation? And um, yeah, just say words. Sure, words. So
2: when you are in a fight or flight state, your body is. Doing things that will make it good at running away or fighting something and not dying is its goal at the moment. So we'll see things like blood flow shunted to the larger muscle groups, which are good at fighting and running away. And also blood flow shunted away from the extremities where if you're scratched or cut, you may be less likely to bleed to death. So with that, we'll see the core uh, body, like the torso And your larger muscle groups like quadriceps and like upper arm muscles will get hotter and your extremities will get much colder, more so the more you are in fight or flight. So when you look at your body temperature, if you're trying to assess your metabolism, you also want to notice, like, not only, like, if you do under the tongue, like your temperature in your core, but also are like your hands cold and icy or clammy while you're in, while uh, you're sweating on your forehead, you know? So you want to have evenly distributed body heat if you're just sitting, hanging out at rest. Um, and then you also want to, you can do other things where I mentioned you can look at your, Blood pressure and your breath rate. If you have a really slow breath rate, you'll sometimes uh, uh, and a very high pulse differential, which is the difference between your systolic and diastolic blood pressure. So that, that number 120 over 80 would be like a normal, 40. would be like a normal like blood pressure range. So you subtract the systolic, which would be like 120, by the diastolic, which would be 80 in this case, and you get a pulse differential of 40. So, that, like, if that's a very large number, if it's, like, way bigger than 40, like, what's the number we usually go? Like, if it's over think, 50 usually?
0: Yeah, somewhere
2: around 47, I think. Is. Yeah. So, really high pulse differential would be one indication that you're in a stress state or a sympathetic state, a fight-or-flight state. And also, if you have a slow breath rate, like, if your breath rate is, like, like 12, 11, 10, or any, like, ideal is around 15 or 16. So, mm-hmm. if it's much, much slower than that. Um, then that's also a, an indication that you might be in a fight-or-flight state. And uh, you look at those two together, if you have like a high pulse differential and a slow breath rate, you can divide the pulse differential by the breath rate, like let's say 120 minus 80, that's a pulse differential of 40 and your breath rate's like, oh, now we're doing Seven. Seven. So, that would like that would create this n- number that'd be like around, what, five-ish? Right. Or, it would be
0: too high because we yeah. want it to be around three when we look at that. Yeah. And we teach this uh, formula in our free four-week digestion course too if you just got lost when we were talking yeah. about it a little bit too.
2: It's also on that stress blog post that I wrote. So, the exact equation and the numbers as well as other markers
0: like Dilated pupils, cold hands. And if you look at the opposite of that, uh, you know, because you see a lot of people that are, their hands are always very warm and maybe even sweaty, mm-hmm. and that can be a result of being overly parasympathetic where you're kind of having an imbalance in the opposite direction. So, your extremities are more warm than your body.
2: Yeah. So, all those distinctions of whether you're sympathetic or parasympathetic, if you check out that on mybodyknowledge.net, just type in stress in the search box and it'll show the blog post where we look at all those different markers and how to do that little calculation I was just talking about to see if your body's in a fight or flight state. And if it is, then you want to start asking like, why? Like, why is it there? Yeah.
0: Are you stressed because of work or is your body dealing with stress because of things going wrong?
2: Yeah. Like you could have like a really, um, you could have a really underactive thyroid. And so, your stress hormones are really high or maybe your body's having trouble digesting the food that it gets. So, it's in this like Uh, this resource deficiency and it's freaking out over that. Mm -hmm. So you want to see all your body, your body's different imbalances that might be present. You can figure that out. If you go through our free course at kickinthenuts.com, we have a free digestive issues course there, where you can learn how to assess your chemistry and see what are the different markers that are causing me to be in this stress state. um, And then start to go to work on correcting all the different things that are relative uh, impertinent in your case. And then, with that, we'll usually see the uh, the nervous system kind of balance itself out once we get everything else in charge.
0: Right, and life can be stressful, I and mean, it can be like, "Kenna, she's got yeah. a horrible boss," and right. that can create oh God, stress. Yeah, yeah so there's no hope really. Right, so it's not it's not always just one thing or the other, or but sometimes uh, people think that, "Well, oh, I don't have stress in my life," but their body is actually dealing with stress on its own, and that can be the thing.
1: Okay, Noreen, my body breaks out in a sweat. Boyfriend, boyfriend. oh. <laughs> What? My boyfriend... Oh, there goes the eyes. My boyfriend breaks out in a sweat at night that soaks even me. I have noticed I can hear his heart beating loudly and fast when this happens.
0: Interesting. So, you know, one thing we talked about earlier um, is that a lot of times a, a heart rate will really raise in an overly anabolic state, and we tend to move more anabolic at night. That's how it should be, but... If someone's already way too anabolic, they may be moving way more anabolic at night, uh, which means they're creating all that ec- excess lacti- lactic acid, which could cause the body to sweat. So this is one possible thing that makes sense right away, but it could also be um, some type of stress hormones creating that situation. Maybe Do you wanna- he
1: has a nightmare. He's being chased by a bear.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that could be it. And But let's talk a little bit about estrogen <laughs> as, a, as a stress hormone because- I think a lot of the foods that we eat now have the ability to raise our estrogen levels, even for guys. Um, and we that's something that we don't really know that much about. We don't realize that. Most people don't understand that, oh, I, I can have high stress hormones from estrogen, too.
1: And I can have a baby at some point too, maybe. I'm talking about men, yeah, right, if they yeah. have too much estrogen, <laughs> right. maybe they'll uh, have a baby maybe, someday. Maybe,
0: maybe
2: that'd be weird. Will would be a beautiful. It's like I got this pot woman. belly, I can't get. No, it's not it's a baby. <laughs> what
0: the? <laughs> Doesn't the first guy that delivers sure.
2: a baby?
1: Well, you're glowing.
0: Eating all that soy. <laughs> Doesn't the first person, the first guy that delivers a baby, win like Disneyland or something? Some weird award. But yeah, estrogen, like cortisol,
2: also. And so we can get a bunch of estrogen in our, in our bloodstream from lots of things like that are natural estrogens that are pumped into our food. Uh, or if you're like choosing to eat foods that are known to be rich in estrogen, like a lot of like plant proteins, soy, soy things protein, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, and with that, estrogen is a stress hormone and it gets in the way of regular cellular energy production. And that, puts our body into stress so it'll have stress responses in a similar way to like cortisol so let's look at let's look at that one because we're talking about sleep at this moment uh, with Noreen's question as the body sleeps it's burning up glycogen like blood sugar and as each cycle of sleep that you go through you're you're burning your gas tank of of glycogen and it's getting lower and lower supplies of blood sugar and as your blood sugar drops you start to secrete other hormones that will help create more available glucose. So cortisol and, and
0: the, glu- the, f- the rate at which that happens depends on all the other things. So don't yeah. look at your boyfriend. Like he does this. Why don't I? Mm. Some people's bodies may freak out and want to make more glucose than other people would need. Yeah. To. Yeah. So there's ahead. a lot of metabolic variation. on it. So like maybe he's on, I,
2: I don't know. There could be a whole lot of things. There could be like, a bunch of stress at work or it could be he's on a ketogenic diet or something like that where he has lower blood sugar supply or a fast metabolism where he's burning through it at night and as his body depletes itself of the available glucose, it will start to secrete more and more cortisol and gluca- glucagon to create more sugar and to activate systems that will have him wake up and go Get sugar or sources of that so every sleep cycle that you go through the longer you sleep the more and more uh, stress hormone elevation you have and usually people's cortisol levels peak somewhere around early morning like 5 or 6 a.m and with that you'll see people not only like sweating at night but also like grinding their teeth or all sorts of different like sort of like movements that they may be going through in their sleep or waking up in a panic or nightmares Um, And those are all those stress hormones that are elevating in response to what's going on with the metabolism. So there's things that he can do to help supply himself with like steady sources of glucose throughout the night, as well as things he can do to help reduce the amount of estrogens that are maybe impairing his body's ability to make energy in a stress-free kind of way.
0: And a really important thing to do to understand before you try and, uh, change or to supply your body with more glucose through the night is to know where you are and how you're processing glucose because a lot of people will say, oh, well, I just need to eat more carbs before bed. But one of the biggest reasons to have or to experience low blood sugar in the middle of the night is someone that eats a lot of starches or sugars before bed, their insulin is overly powerful and they get this huge insulin spike and then a huge sugar crash. And that's usually one of the more common causes that that creates that. So, you really got to look at your chemistry to figure out, okay, what, how strong is my insulin? Should I be having less carbs or do I need more? And, and you have to know that before you just start throwing darts and taking guesses at what should help.
2: Yeah. It's not even just like not enough glucose like in general in your diet. It's like, is it available? All the time. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. And if you say like ate a bunch of rice before bed because you heard, oh, I need more glucose and that spikes and drops your insulin and blood sugar along with it, then you're going to get in this big pitfall in the middle of the night. So you got to learn how to eat in a way that will keep blood sugar levels more stable. And sometimes that's a matter of correcting digestion and eating better proteins or eating lower glycemic carbs or timing it better so that you keep stable blood sugar as much as possible. Cool.
1: All right, Stenio. Pros and cons of infrared sauna.
0: So before we get into any actual types of sweat uh mechanisms, you know, or whatever like that. Um one pro and con that we want to look at is if someone is electrolyte excess where they have high blood pressure, um then in in most cases helping that person sweat more is great cuz you're helping the body remove more junk but if someone has very low blood pressure and is very deficient in electrolytes we don't want them sweating a ton because uh they're just going to sweat out more electrolytes and, and make all of that situation much worse so we don't want that person going to hot yoga or going to saunas or or any type of thing like that so go ahead and talk about uh the infrared saunas. Yeah.
2: So you just kind of brought out some of the answers. Like pros, it can help an electrolyte excess person sweat out some of their excess electrolytes. That's great. Con, for some people that are already depleted of electrolytes, that's going to be kind of a negative thing to go even more deplete. So we see a lot of, uh, especially in LA, we see a lot of like very skinny, underweight models going in on juice cleanses and sweat, you know, going to saunas or these infrared body wraps. And they're just totally spaced out. By the time they leave they think they're a fire truck. Yeah. Completely vulnerable, which can be fun. Oh, and come, your car's over here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't use
0: roofies, I just go to hot yeah, yoga. Just yeah, just pick them up after they. So, but keep in mind that, you know, what we said about sweat removing toxins is true, but you have to keep in mind that sweat also removes minerals. It's not like you can pick out, okay, I only want the bad junk to leave and I want to keep all my good stuff.
2: Yeah. Other kind of uh, on a different realm, like if you're not in an electrolyte-deplete state and you are dealing with a more intense like health trauma um, or you're just tuned into any of the stuff we talked about when we had uh, Dr. Gerald Pollock on and we were talking about water being polarized by energy and light. Charging the water in a way that helps organize the water molecules. Infrared light is really powerful in its therapeutic effect to help, um, to help charge the water that is in our bodies and helps our cells organize that water. So infrared light is constantly hitting us from every earthly thing, Um, but especially when we're in an infrared sauna or under a light that provides infrared light, it can help reduce uh, symptoms of arthritis and other sort of things like that when, um, when we want an extra therapeutic benefit. It's really fundamental though to correct your cellular metabolism because that's what's ultimately responsible for organizing the water in our cells and in our interstitial space. Um, but infrared saunas
0: and infrared lights and things like that can be—it can be a boost. It's just yeah. not going to fix everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's wrong. Let's pause and go on with Brian's question because this.
1: Okay. Can- Brian, I know if someone I know if someone is electrolyte deficient, they will lose more electrolytes when they sweat. But if that imbalance was not present, is sauna dry heat better or worse than steam room heat? Also, if someone has an electrolyte excess, would either of these be beneficial? They normally have warnings to stay out of them if you have high blood pressure.
0: Well, keep in mind, first of all, that raising the heat of your body is a, is a stress that can add to the body. So if you're already afraid that someone's going to have a heart attack, you don't want to add a stress uh, in that manner. But um, so, you know, that's I think that's a legitimate caution, but still helping a person sweat in an electrolyte excess state. Um, maybe just more gradually instead of I'm going to basically catch you on fire right now.
2: Yeah. I wouldn't do like an ultra hot one if you're already worried about high blood pressure. And I would make sure I'd bring in a lot of pure water to drink while you're in there. So your body can really like replenish the, the water level.
0: Yeah. Cause if you sweat a lot, but you're not bringing water in, you're basically, you know, you're thickening your blood a lot in a lot of cases. And that's not a thing that you want to do. So, you want the water going in as you're sweating stuff out. Mm-hmm. Do you have any different opinions about whether it's a steam heat or a dry heat? I don't have any opinions about that. I,
2: I don't. I generally, I mean, I think, well, I, I don't know. I, I don't think. I know water transfers heat more readily than air. And so, you can heat your body up, I guess, more effectively, more more quickly When you're in a hot water, like if you were to jump in a hot tub, it's a lot harder to like maintain, you know, being in there as opposed to like a a sauna, dry Mm -hmm. heat sauna, it can get up to like 200 degrees, but if you jump in a hot tub, it's 200 degrees, it's going to scold you because just heat transfers faster through water than it is through air. So, I don't really think that it necessarily is more or less beneficial just it's at what rate do you want to try to, like, sweat out these toxins? And if you're worried about high blood pressure, maybe go the more gentle route where your body, you can, like, take it more um, more cautiously.
0: Yeah, it seems like I read something in 1994 about pros and cons of either one of those. That was a long time ago. I got zero of that. I don't remember any of that. Yeah.
1: All right, Jennifer, I sweat a lot more during that time of month. Is this common and why?
0: I think that it, it can be, and especially, you know, keep in mind that that cycle is a real big deal. Um, it, it's, it's a lot of resources are going into that happening. Um, so you're not only changing resources available to your body, depending on how many resources you have, that can create a lot of stress to the body. It can affect a lot of different hormones. Um, so if you have other symptoms that go along with that, like cramps or, uh emotional heightened states of loopiness or uh, higher emotions or whatever, if that happens around your period too, then you know, yeah, okay, I must be going too low on resources, and if I improved the level of resources I had, would it improve all the sweating stuff too yeah,
2: I mean it's we already talked a lot about how estrogen as a stress hormone um can cause the body to be more in this like fight or flight state. So we'd want to do other things that we can do to try to bu- to mitigate the effects of the stress hormones, especially around that time of month for a woman. So there's things that uh, we've talked about with like, um, you have to look at the individual chemistry, but making sure that the body has enough resources going into that time. So they have plenty of salts and, and low glycemic sugars and enough protein, as well as just some other things that you can do that are... Um, really therapeutic to help support um, regular cellular respiration. And I talk about a lot of those um, practices in on our product line website at naturalselectionnutritionals.com. There's a free course. And if you go to lesson six of it, I think I talk about the base meal plan and it talks about other things you can do to help support just the, like the foundations of your body's metabolism and doing that is a very like that's an anti stress diet, if you think of it. Yeah, and
0: that thing that we just talked about about keeping your blood sugar in an even keel, that's a big part it's of it. It's huge. Too. It's huge. So knowing that like estrogen like cortisol
2: can get in the way of your the way your cells normally like to make energy and that can in blocking that the, the electric flow, of ions in regular cellular respiration, we get a lot of heat generated. So we want to try to mitigate that by supporting regular cellular respiration, which is uh, which we talk about in a lot of different ways through that lesson six.
0: All right. So to review, remember sweating good. We want we want sweating, especially during exercise, but if there's issues that are creating excess excess sweating, we talked about a lot of different things to look at with your physiology to figure out if there are extra stresses going on in the body that's pushing it to these extreme states that's creating those problems and and uh, you can figure those out by looking at your actual physiology.
1: Okay, today all of our listeners can get a free audiobook from Audible.com. Just go to kickitinthenuts.com forward slash audiobook for the details. And if you'd like to learn how to look at your own body chemistry, you can read any of Tony's books or take the free four-week digestion course at kickitinthenuts.com or head on over to Will Schmidt's mybodyofknowledge.net, and he's got, like he said, all his blog stuff and things about hormones and stress and all that good stuff. So check it out.
0: I feel enlightened.
1: Me too. Bye-bye. Bye.